so as you'll have gathered, I'm, I'm not an academic, and I'm, uh, one of the things I do, which I have in common with Stanley, is that we both teach at um, the University of Gastronomic Sciences in uh, Provenzo uh, in, in Italy. Um, and, um, and it was in fact through uh, one of my students there that I uh, was introduced to Stanley and came to a talk that he was hosting here in Oxford. Um, I was really interested in making that connection because it's been on my um, radar for some time to make the connection between uh, research um, and practice and food education and there's another aspect too. So I'm going to uh, talk a little a tiny bit about me because I think it's maybe relevant to the um, subject of this conversation. Um, and putting uh, food education, as Stanley is sort of alluded to into some brief kind of global context uh, to talk about the work that we've been doing over the last um, seven or eight years uh, and making a kind of case for food education in the UK uh, as it's not delivered at the moment uh, but ought to be in my view uh, a brief look at how uh, in a way the life of Square Food Foundation the cookery school that I run in Bristol uh, what it looks like, um, lots of pictures, lots of images in that particular section. And then looking ahead at um, something that we are uh, exploring at the moment and running pilots for, which is um, uh, working with a whole school and as, as a way perhaps of creating um, more impactful change uh, in terms of um, food culture in Bristol. Um, so, just a bit about me. Um, as Stanley said, I've been a chef um, for the best part of 30 years. I've been running restaurants um, in Bristol. But all th throughout the whole thing, including the bringing up my own children, um, I've got five children, uh, I realized something in schools uh, and in the wider community was really missing. Um, so there I was, running my restaurants uh, and being reasonably successful in them, but really being conscious that um, there was something, uh, something missing. Um, it goes without saying that, that as you'll see um, in shortly, this, that there's a bigger issue to do with food education, which is to do with the soil and to do with the health of the soil, as well as human health. And so from the very beginning, my restaurants were organic. Um, um, so, very early on, I started to, to teach in the children's, my children's school, uh, the, the primary school that they, that they were at, um, to just do cooking lessons in the, in the school um, with the permission of the teachers there. Well, the, they welcomed it, actually. Um, and so, really, for 30 years, I've been teaching cooking as well as running restaurants. Um, so, but it, within the context of that, it was pretty clear to me uh, that um, we're part of a big, bigger issue, bigger problem. Um, and although it's kind of, uh, for you guys, um, probably most of what I'm going to talk about is familiar in terms of statistics and so on, and I'm always a bit wary of using statistics anyway. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you, has anybody come across this report that came out last year? 
Um, it, it's quite interesting in itself. It's, um, it was done by something like 30 different um, scientists, and they came up with a, with a proposition for, uh, for transforming uh, both planetary and um, human health uh, to something that was more sustainable on both uh, counts. Um, and their argument was that if we're going to get there by 2050, we've got to um, do these things. And it kind of fits. So they produced a sort of global eat well plate, um, which fits with another plate I'm going to show you a picture of. Uh, and it's, it's pretty obvious. It's the direction of travel that we're, we're all aware that we need to be going in um, and involves um, uh, that much in terms of, of, uh, of vegetables. I, what ought to be there is a comparative picture plate, if you like, of what, what, what people's diet is right now. But it, needless to say, it's about one-fifth of those, you know, so it's a tiny percentage of, uh, of fruit and vegetables uh, that we're eating at the moment. So there's a big challenge there. There's a big difference between uh, what we ought to be eating for, for both our own human health and also for planetary health and what we are eating. Um, so, talking now about, might feel a bit disjointed, but it will come together, I think, a bit, about our role in this, what we're doing in Square Food Foundation, uh, which we opened in 2011. Um, it's in an old secondary school, uh, now a community centre. It's in the bit of Bristol uh, that um, suffered between the wars from uh, the demolition of most of the old slums. Uh, and so there's a sense of disconnection uh, between, so all the, all the communities of South Bristol were moved into these estates, and this is on one of those estates. And there's a significance about that because the food culture there is, as you can possibly imagine, um, is not the food culture that um, is familiar to all of us. And there are big, big issues which I'll be coming to a bit later. Um, so, within the context of this mission at Square Food Foundation, uh, we were trying to put the case uh, for to our funders for why are we here? What is teaching people to cook really about? Why does it matter? Um, so, and these are these um, statistics are probably familiar to you, um, that there is a connection between what we eat uh, and our, our, our health. Um, these are all um, studies that have been done over the last uh, three or four years, so they're quite recent. Um, in fact, there's, we're, we're, I don't know if you've got but we're now talking about a recommended 10 uh, vegetables a day um, instead of seven in order to achieve the kind of um, health that we, we ought to be. Um, but in any case, they, the connection's there. But it's interesting how um, we don't really translate that into our food education. So we spend 125 billion 
in the National Health Service, of which 28.5 billion is spent on um, drugs. And that figure, 167 million, is um, a figure which um, is, is my figure, comes from looking at all the different uh, food education projects in the UK and finding out what they cost to run. So it's pretty simple. It doesn't in include government health campaigns like sugar or, or fat or whatever it is. So but it's, it's, it's talking about direct food education programs, so cookery basically. So that's the background, um, and the question is, um, wh why, why is this only this amount of money invested in uh, food education, and why are we not thinking of seeing food education as a much more uh, fundamental intervention in human health? Um, so here we have, on the one hand, the global Eat Well plate, and this is the one that the government um, has produced for us to compare our eating habits with. This is what we should be eating. It's not dissimilar, um, slightly different breakdowns. It doesn't really matter, but the point is that there's some, there's some similar thinking about that. Um, and, but within that, um, that Eat Well guide is a, a story, which, and that story is about cost. Um, has anybody any idea what it might cost uh, to feed a family of four in the UK according to the principles of that Eat Well Guide? Just stab a guess at it. Are you all familiar enough now with the UK? Most of you aren't. Again. Any, uh, any thoughts? I'd just be interested to know what you might say. Would it be £50? Would it be £100? Family of four eating well, healthily. For a month or just for, for, sorry, for a week. Um, Should have said. Just have a guess. Four hundred pounds. Four hundred pounds a week. So hundred pounds per person. That's a lot. Um, Let's see. As a guess, I'd have that to about two hundred. I think. Yeah, you can go a little bit less than that. You, you, we're we're talking kind of quite basic. So it's one hundred and twenty pounds. Okay. So one hundred and twenty pounds a week should be able to feed a family of four healthily. Uh, um, so that each, each person in the family, that's two adults and two children. So that means that if, you, if, you're, if that family's income is 45,000, that's going to be 12% of, the, of, their, of their income. If it's 15,000, it's 42%. And if you're on income support or on universal credit as it now is, that's 73% of your income. Uh, which is one reason why we have uh, food poverty in the UK, which is complex um, and not by any means just about not being able to afford um, food, by the way. Um, so uh, it's defined as not being able to afford or have access to a healthy diet. That's what food poverty is defined as in the UK. But there is another cost, um, which in my view is about people not being able to cook. So this is the argument that I make uh, for our work in Bristol and actually across the country. There are plenty of other projects like us. Um, I, I, would, um, I would like to ask people to suggest some reasons why people don't cook. 
anyway, they're, they're, so they are. There's money, time, um, um, but also um, those are the obvious reasons: money, time, knowledge. And there's another one which is you don't have to. Um, the don't have to is about um, having everything already prepared for you. Um, so. Um, the background to those um, reasons why people don't cook, cook at the, is the food industry. And what I call, I know it's a, it's, it's, I, this is my own term, I, I'm, it's something about um, how s smaller um, groups within a food culture um, become quite um, uh, driven by their own particular habits, they don't, they don't change their habits. Um, this is my experience, especially in, in Noel West, something about tribal behaviour. It'd be really interesting to know what you guys think about that. Um, but behind it all is that it's not seen um, as an educational priority. It, you don't get taught cooking in schools, it's just not happening. Even though Michael Gove um, when he was education secretary some five, six years ago, said, oh, we need to get cooking in the classroom, and he appointed some kind of body to look into how it might be done, and then put it on the curriculum, but then didn't really think beyond that. There, was no, there were no resources put into it, there was no real thought about how could it happen. There's a, one of the most pointless exercises that this government has ever engaged in, in my view. Um, so, anyway, there's the background to what Square Food Foundation is about. So we developed a kind of manifesto or a mission, I don't know what to call it really, um, and, a, and it's called A Place at the Table because most, in my kind of vision about a, a healthy and pleasurable food culture, people are sitting around the table eating. Um, so the first point is that access to good food should not depend on income. It should be a kind of human right that everybody should eat healthily. Um, and my view is that being able to cook helps develop self-confidence and a sense of belonging. I'm going to talk a little tiny bit about that in a minute um, because it's, it's central to, um, to, our, to the students' experience and our teaching approach to teaching. And as, um, Stanley alluded to earlier, it's about empowerment. Um, my view is that the culture which comes from people cooking sustains communities and local food systems. Look at any traditional, uh, well-established food culture and it's right there. Uh, we don't have it anymore in Bristol and in probably in most cities in the, in the, in the developed world. There is no um, food culture that, can, can, that, that has its own specific identity. Um, there's a downside sometimes to a, a very strong food culture identity, which is that they, they don't want to go beyond it. Italy is a good example of that. Um, it's my view, we talked about that £120 being what a family of four would have to spend per week to eat well. Uh, I lived on income support uh, with my family just on a trial basis for six months. Uh, so I was within that bracket of people who had to spend 73% of their income, as a family we were, on, on food. And we did okay. It was hard. We had to live mainly on pulses and certainly on vegetables. We had to cook in bulk. We had to do all the things that 
you do when you, but what I had was knowledge. I knew how to cook, uh, and I knew how to make things last, um, and it didn't matter that we didn't eat more than one chicken a month, so in terms of meat. Um, it was an interesting exercise, and it was proving two things. One is that it can be done, but two, that you need knowledge uh, to be able to do it. Um, so, I don't know about you guys, but um, when you're sitting around the table with a bunch of people, uh, or, or you're standing around, even better, cooking collaboratively, cooking with other people, um, I don't even know if you, if, if you cook, you people, so I'm making a huge assumption here that, that cooking and eating together is, a, is something that makes people feel happy. Um, that's my experience, um, and it's not just within my own social context, but also the experience of, of uh, Square Food Foundation. Um, so there's this sense in my own vision for a happy world, is that people's homes uh, need, um, need a kitchen in, in the way that it's a form both of it's, it's a source of food, but it's also a source of some other kind of nourishment uh, to the human soul. Um, and um, that's my, also my belief, is that uh, a table, which is a kind of both symbolic and also literal, is something that everybody should be able to gather around um, to cook and eat. Um, so that's the mission. Here are the people that we work with. Um, we're going to be talking more about primary schools um, in the context of the big project that we're working on for the future. Uh, but we teach a wide range of, um, of different groups and, and different um, sections of, of, uh, of the demographic of Bristol. Uh, I don't really need to go into it, I don't think. Um, unless anybody particularly... Now, I won't. I might mention, I might pick on a couple in a, in a minute, but we are a bit, we, we've got a big reach, but, um, but uh, quite a small team of something like four or five of us teaching at the moment, including me. Um, maybe I'll just talk about medical students. We did this very interesting um, work with a group of uh, Bristol University medical students um, are looking at their own diets um, and the reason I mention it is because only in the last two or three years have medical colleges really taken the issue of their own students not having much food knowledge seriously. Uh, I went to Kings where my daughter's just, uh, just graduated as a doctor uh, King's College in, in London um, and it, it, was, it was quite depressing to see how little attention was paid to this hugely important subject and it's reflected in the diet of many students it's, it, and they're no different, medical students are no different. But it's significant because part of our approach in the work that we're doing in, in Bristol is to bring um, health centres and therefore doctors into the picture of the work we're doing. Um, it's changing. Everything's changing. Um, and we're, we're sort of part of that, really. Um, so those are the people we teach. Um, we're going to be doing a program uh, called How to Teach Cooking, because we can't do all this work on our own. If we're really going to grow 
this mission to get people to cook um, and we, we need more, more teachers. But what I do know about teaching um, cooking is that it's different from teaching English. Before I was a, a chef, I was an English teacher. Uh, and it's, a, it's got its own complications uh, and so on, but it's not the same as um, teaching cooking. You're dealing with many different levels of uh, human behavior and experience um, and, um, uh, and, and, and so on. And, and if we know that uh, food can be a source of pleasure and happiness, it can also be a source of shame and misery and denial and all those things that come into the experience, particularly uh, in, the, um, uh, in the world of, of, of food education uh, which we occupy. So I, I sometimes think that there's a language of food that's familiar to all of us, uh, but it's a bit like the difference between Hindemith, who's, who's a, a composer, um, uh, and, and um, I don't know who, 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 who might, I mean, he, nobody, you could, you could play this music and nobody would understand it, and it's the same for some of the students we teach. They don't understand the language of food that, that is f familiar and easy for me. So you've got to have a certain approach to, um, to, to a class. Uh, so I've made a list here. I just literally banged it out earlier this morning, thinking, well, how can I, how can I, that sounds bad, I don't need to put it. It's, they're all important points. So we don't have recipes. So there's that first point of contact with a cookery class experience is not a piece of paper. It's a chopping board and it's some vegetables. Uh, and, and it, it's a shared experience, and that's really important. Being organized in advance, having everything ready, having a, a wooden table to lay out, all these things are incredibly important to the experience of, of the sort of students that we're teaching. Um, getting them to tell their own food stories, having a sense of where they're coming from in their own lives is, is important. Uh, Having, I do this thing with demonstrations where I bring one of the students up to, to, to cook alongside me. It changes the dynamic of the class, it makes a difference to the other people's experience, and of course it's, it's also doing something for that one person who's with me, whom I might have chosen for a particular reason. Um, all these things are getting them to cook for other people, uh, always getting them to taste, 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 taste all the time and talk about what they're, uh, what they're experiencing. All these things are, are, are really important. And they're also difficult. When you put it like this, it looks as if it's quite easy, as if it's just, this is what you do. Actually, you can have, you can have an entire class in which none of these things, uh, the, the sort of uh, pleasure, the, the, the experience, the conversation, none of it really happens. Um, many people we teach are not used to talking. They don't have conversation. It's not part of their experience of life. Um, but what I know is that after time, and I'm talking weeks and possibly months, you can get to a point where people are talking. They're talking because food is enabling that. Uh, cooking and, and eating is enabling that. Um, small steps, pretty obvious that you, you can't... Um, push things. So it could be that the first thing anybody does is make some toast uh, and, and put some beans on it. And I'm not kidding. That can be how do you heat up beans and how do you how do you make a piece of toast properly. So that can be cooking. 
in the first place. It might sound ridiculous, but it, it's, um, it's not. Uh, so that's, that's how we approach things. I'm now just going to go through some, um, some uh, examples of what we do um, in, um, in, in Square Food Foundation. So you'll see um, wooden surfaces, not stainless steel. There's a big table in the front of this whole room. Um, this is it, by the way. That's, the, that's my cookery school. Uh, and uh, so there's, a, and there's, 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 in the middle, there's a wooden chopping board. Soon we're not having any plastic in the place. We're going to just have wooden chopping boards, which, by the way, have been proven to be more hygienic uh, than plastic for the last five or six years, but, but environmental health doesn't, hasn't agreed with it so far. Um, but there's something about this particular image uh, which is what happens, what's actually happening in that space there, um, is that people are talking. Uh, and, um, and, and that, to me, is as much as an important, is as important as the cooking itself, that people are communicating um, with each other. Things are happening. Um, uh, a few examples on the top left. Um, these are um, the over 65s, often um, widowed, um, certainly uh, sort of isolated. Uh, so every Monday morning, these people come, a group of about 12, come into the cookery school and we cook and eat together. And they also cook for a lunch club. So it's a kind of, it's actually a success story. You wouldn't think that people aged 65 could change their habits. Wrong, they have. Uh, so they don't shop in the same way, uh, and they don't eat in the same way, and they don't cook and so on. So they, there's some really big changes happen, but it's taken three or four years to get there. So that's how long with, with it's to, it can take for real, uh, real change to take place. Uh, already talked about, we're going to be anywhere about primary schools. This is a really important one. Um, Care Home Cooks, it's, a, it's an industry, or rather it's a, a, a section of, of the care sector which, is, which has been under a lot of criticism for all very good reasons, and a lot of it's about food. Uh, and one of the things we're beginning to show through this program that we're working with in Bristol is that if, if uh, particularly elderly residents are eating well, uh, they can reduce certain elements of their medication simply by changing what they're eating. Um, we work with children with Down syndrome, one of the most wonderful uh, classes that I do, frankly. Making an omelette with kids like that is something else, I'll tell you. Um, so we work with teachers in primary schools. Um, this is us uh, showing them how they might approach a cookery class in the classroom of their school uh, and you'd be surprised how many primary school teachers themselves lack confidence themselves don't know much about healthy eating or indeed um, how to cook in the way that uh, that um, you would you would imagine them to be able to um, so and it's really great fun they have a fantastic day and they leave inspired by by each other and the whole experience. So it's a really important part of the work we're doing in school. Um, 
So we teach um, young chefs. Um, we've got a program that runs for 10 weeks for um, kids who otherwise would not be, who express an interest in food, they're not in work or education or training, uh, and they're at that kind of level uh, where they could go one way or the other in life. Um, uh, and so it's proved very um, interesting and successful. And it's also, importantly, as far as I'm concerned, introducing these uh, into, the, into the industry itself. The restaurant industry is pretty shocking in its uh, lack of responsibility for um, issues around uh, food and soil health and, and um, many other aspects of, of what's important about food. So we're bringing into that uh, world, in Bristol at least anyway, some kind of holistic approach to uh, what be becoming a chef ought to be about. Um, this is kids, so knife skills. So it's a, it is a lot about, about um, very simple things, getting Stanley and I were talking about Japanese food and sushi and so on. This is about us showing, getting them to chop really precisely. So I will put a little cube of carrot on the table and say, hey, do it like this, see if you can do it like this. Um, and at this age, of course, they really want to get it right. When they're teaching a master class, they couldn't give a monkey's so it's different. But with this, and it's, it's a lovely thing, getting them to organize their plates so that everything's in a nice sort of palette of colors. Um, it's, it's an achievement, it's a triumph uh, often for, for small children. And you'll notice that they look, they're using big knives, the proper knives, the sharp knives. It's not, we're not, you know, playing around and it's safe if they, they get shown how to do it properly. Um, really important part of our work in Bristol is having volunteers. Uh, about 60% of our of the economy of Square Food Foundation is, is, if we had to pay them, we wouldn't be in business. So it's, it is about volunteers. We've got about 40 or 50 on our sort of database um, who can be working a few, you know, four or five at any one time. Um, this is Chloe, an incredible story of um, coming out of care um, and into um, become. She's now a, a, a really good cook, um, and she's working for a, um, a restaurant in Bristol and doing incredibly well. She was barely able to talk when she arrived with us, um, but has um, has made extraordinary process. She's a, she's an inspiration for all of us. Um, it's a long story there, as you can imagine, um, and actually that's the case with so many of our students. Um, so this is us talking, as I said earlier, we, we spend time with the teachers going through ideas about what it is to be a cookery teacher, how to organise your classroom, um, you know, how to engage with other teachers, uh, and so on. It's, a, it's part of the, the story. Um, so I'm coming to this point because um, this is how we've been working over the last um, seven years. And you could say we've had moderate success with the students that we've had in our care, if you like. Um, there's no doubt that um, we're now quite well known in the city. Um, and, um, and if you talk to people who've been to our classes and um, or done the programs, they'll speak very highly of it. 
but in terms of affecting um, the food culture as a whole in Bristol, it's had a very limited, limited impact. And I'm going to show you a, a couple of um, slides now about the schools that we're going to be working with, and we already are actually, um, just down the road from Square Food Foundation. And I mentioned the area that it's in that it's a council estate with huge um, problems, very complex problems, and you'll see some of them in a minute. Uh, and we wanted to look at a way in which we could have a greater impact on, um, uh, on a whole community, not just individuals. Um, I can't remember who, what, that story about the boy with the starfish, is that where he's on the, on the beach with his dad and he sees all these starfish washed up on the shore. Um, and uh, he picks up one of the starfish and throws it back in the water. And his dad said, why, well, why, why did you do that? And he said, well, because I want to save it from, from, you know, from, so it doesn't die. And his dad says, obviously, well, what about all the others? And there are thousands. So, uh, and so we're looking at a way of, in a way, trying to meet the thousands rather than just the one, if you like. Um, so Oasis Connaught. Um, it's a primary school, 500 kids um, in, um, in Bristol. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, with big, big problems. And this report was done by Bristol Healthy Schools, um, which was set up by um, a quite forward-thinking um, uh, city council, actually. That to try and work out where the big problems uh, in terms of food and health lay, not just food actually, but also meds, you'll see many others. But what I found really interesting, um, it's not very well, can you read it? Not that you want to read it, because it doesn't really matter. Um, I hope it doesn't show up in the next one. I transferred this from another one. Is that this report, which is really serious, um, which indicates some big, big problems within the school. Uh, is written in a kind of slightly, you know, it's got these pencils, it looks like it's quite, I found it quite interesting the way it was presented as a, as a report. So but going from the top, this is this one school, uh, breastfeeding, 39% um, at Oasis Cornwall of mothers breastfed their children as opposed to 62% in the city as a whole. Um, smokers, um, a higher percentage of smokers than in the city, 30% over 13% uh, teenage mums. You can go all the way down there um, to childhood obesity, uh, which is obviously it's an, a national problem, um, and, but it's greater at um, Oasis Connaught than it is in other parts of the city, as a, in the city as a whole. Um, so we've also got stuff down here about uh, domestic violence. Um, it's what, that's what is implied there. Uh, and about unemployment and, and so on. So there's a bit more here about smoking and, uh, yeah, you get the picture. So what this says is that the, the problems uh, within this school are complex. Uh, uh, food or lack of food education is part of it, uh, and um, that it's endemic within the school community. Um, 
So about um, two years ago, we started working with this school uh, and then decided that um, what we really needed to do was work with, with the whole school, not just come in there to work with the teachers and then do a few classes with children or get them over to Square Food Foundation, but to work with, with the whole school. So that's where we are up to. The basis of this is that um, we can reach 5,000 people through those 500 children, through the teachers, through the wider families, uh, and the wider school community. Um, so we're, we were looking at primarily focusing on, on just working with families. We're doing um, a uh, twice weekly uh, class with, with six or seven families, but we're going to extend that having taught teachers how to cook so that they can do it themselves. We're doing holiday programs, um, obviously inset days. Um, we're creating, which is significant, I think, and perhaps a model for the future as well, um, a food and cooking centre in the school. So they, they have now committed a space, something about this size, a bit, bit smaller even, and it's going to have a fridge in it. Imagine that. Uh, a freezer for putting food that we've cooked in bulk, so we're going to cook every month uh, with, uh, with these families to create large numbers of, of healthy, ready-made meals that can go in the freezer. Uh, and, um, uh, but the, it's more than that, so there's going, there's going to be some kind of sense that this food hub or food room is both about uh, connecting with food banks, you all know about food banks, do you? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and sources of surplus food. But also, it's, there's a sort of condition attached to people using this space, which is about you need to learn how to cook. You can't just go in there and help yourself to some, uh, some um, free food. So it's, it's a different approach to uh, a really serious problem, the, the gap between um, uh, food knowledge and um, and, and, and health. Um, so we're part of, we couldn't do this alone. Uh, and I haven't talked about money, uh, and I'm not really going to, it's, it's too boring, it's always difficult, but maybe a charity has to have problems with money. I think that probably goes without saying. But we are part of now a, um, a citywide mission. There's, a, there's a, uh, an organization that set itself up called Feeding Bristol, which is looking at the bigger picture of a city. How does a city function into the future so that it's healthy, so that it's got a healthy food culture? Um, we're looking not just at Square Food Foundation, but engaging with other organizations in the city, other food education organizations, are seeing cookery classes as a primary healthcare intervention. Imagine that. So in, in order for us to be able to do that, we need to make those links with health centres and with social care organisations. Um, but also, which is the point of this, of me coming here in a way, is that right behind all this stuff, there are two factors. One is, is, is research, which provides evidence to support the work that we're doing or not, to disprove it perhaps, uh, and also um, what happens at policy level. What's government doing? What is Bristol doing? What's Bristol Public Health doing towards uh, this, this, this challenge? 
So we have been for some years now working with Bristol University Nutrition Research Unit, um, and we have alongside on this Oasis cohort project, we've got a um, uh, a, a PhD student graduate who's helping us develop um, measurements and uh, evaluation um, models so that this three-year program can produce some um, proper results, if you like, or uh, the evidence to show that, um, uh, that what you saw earlier in terms of the health challenges uh, and behavior and uh, performance of the school in, in, in Ofsted terms and all the other things can be changed. So we've got to measure where we are now and where we're going to be in three years' time. So those are some of our of our challenges. Um, I mentioned the Leeds project because I don't know if anybody um, came across that report in the Guardian about this um, project, which in which this uh, cookery school organisation was working with whole families in, a, in a, an area of Leeds um, and with obese children, and they managed to change. Uh, reverse that, um, that, that that process, so that these these kids and who knows whether it's whether it's uh, long lasting. Um, I would, would uh, kind of imagine it would be from what from what I gathered. I don't know much more about it than that. I simply read an article in the Guardian. I don't. That's none of use. Did you see that? No, no, no. no, no. Mm. Um, so that is the um, that's the the challenge for Square Food Foundation. Um, and in all the work that I do, we, we, we're talking about changing things. We're talking about um, how, how, we, how we change what happens how, in people's lives and how much happier or healthier they might become. And this, there's a new term called transformational change, which in a way is a bit of a tautology, I think, in, in, in one sense. But, um, but it's, it, it indicates something, a recognition that it's no use just bunging a small sum of money at a, at a well-meaning project. We've got to start thinking uh, in, in much more um, ambitious um, and um, city-wide terms. We have, you know, anybody who, who has lived in a city for any length of time with any kind of thought about it can see uh, where things are beginning to, um, to uh, fall apart a bit, or at least as they become um, changing organisms, we or we're not really adapting to them. And I believe that food is um, and food education and so on is really at the heart of how we should uh, live in our cities, not just um, in the countryside. And I want to finish nearly nearly there um, with one last thought. Um, uh, we were talking, Simon and I were talking about sort of industrialised food systems. And I have a kind of a theory about this, that, which is the Birmingham model, because Birmingham is sort of smack in the middle of the UK, um, and, um, uh, and I had this thought that it could become, which in a way is how food systems work at the moment, it could be that every, every farm in the whole of the UK took their food to Birmingham, and it was just um, turned into individual really healthy meals so that it would be each meal would be designed to meet the e-well plate 
it would just be processed and then you put it in your microwave uh, and, um, and then you'd eat it. Uh, that could be one answer to um, a problem because it could be a really efficient way of using energy, water, transport, all those things. Um, but in my view, it does not, even if it was to work, it wouldn't answer the, um, the, 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 the notion, if you like, of, um, of uh, what I believe food uh, should be for the human spirit. And, um, and, uh, and I think we can, um, this picture is of a, of a, of a shop in Bristol um, and where I've just done a demonstration of um, uh, showing people how to use. Does anybody know what time of year it is? October, <laughs> um, <coughs> uh, November. Exactly. Um, how to use the, the, the squashes that were in there, because people don't really know how to cook squashes or, or you know, there's... And, and when I was doing that, I was thinking about this whole thing of what, what, why does it all matter? And it's because everybody was really happy uh, talking about it, trying things and, and sampling the, the, um, the, the, the dishes that we were creating. And I did that with a bunch of, um, well, two, two uh, students as well. So it's, um, uh, you know, they were there, part of that process, and that's really, really important. Um, and uh, I think that might be just about it. Um, that is it, really. <laughs> Thank you very much, Barney.